<clears throat> Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, before I share, I have the privilege of, of having Crosby come back and give a report. And I think, are Eleanor and Jesse here? Are you guys going to come too? Would you guys come up as well? Just because, why not? Come on up. Oh, good. You have a microphone. <laughs> I was like, who's got the microphone? <laughs> While Eleanor and Jesse are coming up, um, I got a text from Crosby that just brought me so much uh, joy. It was just a testimony of what God's doing. And so I asked him uh, just to share a follow-up. Do you remember last week he shared? Do you remember everything I said last week? Okay, good. All right. So um, uh, Crosby, I'll I'll just, maybe you give a little brief on what you shared last week and then the follow-up of what God did this week. I think it's awesome. For sure. Yeah. So last week I shared about a guy that we were calling Real Hope Guy. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, so this was a a guy who had come to our weekly worship and prayer gathering, and when I had asked him how he was connected um, and how he heard about tonight, I was expecting to hear one of our student leaders come out of his mouth, but instead he said, you know, I was in the bagel shop on campus, and I saw a flyer that said Real Hope on it, and I was curious about what that Real Hope was and how to access it. And so I came to this worship and prayer night. And so I've been uh, talking with him a little bit over the past week, and I've learned that he had gone to church as a kid, but had not really a a personal relationship with him as an adult. And so I had invited you guys to pray that he, as well as other students, might be curious about knowing more about who God was and might be interested in exploring Jesus. And let me tell y'all, God worked fast on this one. Uh, He ended up coming to our worship and prayer night this past week. One of our student leaders, she shared the gospel message with our students and made an invitation of faith. And he made an adult decision of faith along with six other students. Yeah. And not just that, but our student leaders were so hyped about that experience that they made invitations to faith at all of their Bible studies this week, and another student made an adult decision of faith to follow Jesus this week. Yeah. And I think when I, like, consider how this has happened, I think about uh, the things that I asked you guys to pray for last week. So I asked you to pray that God would make students curious about who he is, and that he would uh, fill our student leaders with boldness and courage to ask others to follow him. And he did just that. And so first, I want to praise God for who he is. And second, I want to thank you guys for praying and ask that you would double down on that prayer, because I believe that he ain't just finished at the third week of school. He wants to do so much more this semester. So thank you all so much. Joel and Abby shared an, another uh, exciting testimony. I guess I have a microphone on. I don't know why, like I, why I talked to you. Does this one work well? This is, okay, well, let's use this one. You can hold that. Um, Joel and Abby shared a testimony uh, about um, some things that are happening at Sarah Villa High School where these two lovely ladies attend. And you might remember just a few weeks ago, I'm Sarah Villa Junior High, right? Yeah. Did I put you in high school? It's going to happen soon, yeah. Um, Sarah Villa Junior High. And you might remember just a few weeks ago, both uh, Eleanor and Jesse were baptized here, made a public declaration of their faith in front of you. 
And what is so amazing about that is as we follow Jesus, I think, Patty, you said it, that when we get free, we want everybody to get free. And, and as they have grown in their relationship with the Lord, they looked at their school and said, why not a Christian club, right? Isn't that kind of how it went? And so um, I think we have a picture of what happened when you guys started your Christian club. Here, there's Sarah Villa Junior High with a room full of students. I don't know if you guys wanted to just share a little bit about what happened and, and how you decided to start this club. <laughs> I like that. You're the microphone holder. That's good. Um, so basically, we were both in Christian Club last year, and it, it started off with like 10 people, but then over time, it, it shrunk, which was a little disappointing. But so this year, we were appointed as presidents of the club. It was only supposed to be one person, but none of us wanted to do it by ourselves, so we all wanted to do it together. Um, so Wednesday was our first meeting of the year, and we were really nervous, but a bunch of people signed up, and we were talking to the teacher who um, is in charge of it, and he said that normally people sign up and don't show up. So we were, we were just, we've been praying, hopefully, that people would actually show up, and um, they finally came, and over 30 people showed up, and it was amazing. Um, and the verse we shared, I think it was John 16:33. Abby sent it to me, and it said, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that just really showed it was... It's really seen at our meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people had fun. I mean, it was really fun. We only get 30 minutes to have the club, and we ran out of time. But uh, we're, we're hoping that people stay and people really enjoy the club because Christian Club is a way of showing your religion um, and knowing that there are other people that share the same religion and that there are other people that understand it too. Right on. Right on. Thank you, guys. Aaron, can I put you on the spot and just have you come up and join us as well? Aaron, yeah, Aaron Axtell, this guy right here that plays the drums and stuff like that. Uh, I was just thinking about you because I know you posted something as well. You talked about a teacher who, um, who helps like, support the Christian club, and I know that's what you do at, at your school as well. And I don't know, man. Um, talk sure. to people about yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, I started, um, <laughs> gosh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been around for a long time. I'm sure a lot of you guys heard of it. And when I taught high school, I started a chapter of it. And then now I teach middle school. I've been teaching middle school since 2011. Just like you guys, the, the group has kind of you know, grown and then gone down again and then we just got back with a new group this year that's awesome. Sixth graders that are wanting to take charge and lead. And I think we've had like 15 or 16 show up. And uh, I think it's going to grow. They're really excited about it. So right on. I'm good. I'm, it's so encouraging to see this, to hear this. God is doing great things. And it's starting in, in the places where it's needed most, right here in our schools. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Say it for a second. Um, see you later, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> um, what? What I thought would be awesome this morning is if uh, we could just take a moment and as a congregation pray pray for Aaron's school. Remind me of the, of the school, your school. Ben. 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 That one. And um, 
pray for Aaron's school where he teaches. Um, pray for Sarah Villa. Pray for Chapman University, um, for Santiago. God's doing things, and um, he's using his people to be light in, in what is really dark places so oftentimes. And so, man, Crosby, I thought it would be awesome if you could pray for them as um, they leave their club. And then, Jesse, I don't know if you'd pray for Crosby and pray for Chapman. Um, so, yeah. And then you guys pray all at the same time, right? All right. Here we go. <laughs> Jesse and Eleanor. Dear Jesus, we thank you first and foremost for all of these testimonies, these stories. God, we love you. You are good. You are kind. You are wonderful. And you are powerful, Lord. God, I ask that you would uh, honor the faithfulness of Jesse and Eleanor to lead a Christian club on their campus. Lord, would students who they're friends with in their networks come be curious about who you are um, and get to know the real you. Lord, I also pray uh, for good soil in the hearts of the Christians who are on their campus, God. Would uh, the word take plant in them, grow, and bear much fruit? Jesus, I ask uh, just a follow-up on that prayer of joy. Mm-hmm. Lord, would the 30 minutes they have be full of joy, and would the Christians on campus be known as those who have joy in the middle of, of a generation of anxiety and, and loneliness? Um, Dear Lord, uh, thank you for Crosby and his students that they have been blessed by God and that each day a um, a new person is becoming to know you and getting a relationship with you. Uh, Dear Lord, um, please help um, guide these these students through their path of faith and that they just have a wonderful semester getting to know you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. It's awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you. I also heard from um, Lydia, who's a friend of of Bridge Community. Um, You know, uh, we had the opportunity to help support some kids from Orange High to go to uh, a summer camp this year. And I reached out to her and said, hey, as things are getting started, how are you doing? And um, she said, we're doing awesome, that the, the Young Life Ministry at Orange High School is, is just blowing up. She said, we have more students um, than we've had before, and um, we don't have enough leaders to help with all the students. And so, um, praise God. God is at work. And so I think it's important to share these testimonies of God's faithfulness, especially in light of what we're studying. And I think that um, I, I heard Francis Chan had said a, a quote um, and you guys buckle up, right? Because whenever it's Francis Chan, like, what did he say, you know? Um, but he had, he had made a quote that um, we often are seeking community, and community is a beautiful thing. Um, we have a, a beautiful community here where we have friendship with one another, we, we fellowship together, we eat together, we study together, we worship together. But, but he had kind of uh, what seemed to be like a caution to the church and said, instead of just seeking after community, we should also seek after mission, Right? So it's one thing to just seek after a community. I want to find a place where I can find my people. But as, as the people of God, and we learn it from the Gospel of John, that we're, we're not only called just to be together, but we're also called to do things for God, that we're called to be light in places like our schools, our workplaces, where we can read in just a moment that there was a man who was sent from God whose name was John, right? And, and this man who was sent became a witness to the light, and that's our mission. Would you agree with me? Yeah, so um, I just wanted to to share that, and I wanted to just show how um, God is using the people that are here that you rub shoulders with in your community to to walk in that light and to be those witnesses. And so if you would this morning, let's turn to John chapter 1. How many of you were with us last week as we we kicked off the intro? 
Um, yeah, and it's such an a awesome book, right? The Gospel of John. And I've been reading it and studying it and just sitting in it. And, um, and it's, it's kind of overwhelming because as you do, you, you want to just be able to unpack it, right? And as I said last week, it's like you get a lot in your head and in your heart and you just feel like you're going to come up and just go, blah, 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 right? And uh, that was me spilling out a lot of words. Um, I think maybe one person thought that was funny, but that's okay. Um, but, but truly this, this morning as I was looking at these first um, parts of the Gospel of John over again, I was just reminded of how wonderful Jesus is. And that as we look at this gospel together, as we study it, really the hope is that we'll know Jesus more. That if you remember in the, in the intro part of John, that one of the key repeated phrases in John is believe. Over 70 times that we're called to believe. Um, I was thinking back when I first started following Jesus and, um, and, and I was reminded of like a moment, right? It, it just hit me so hard. The moment was this. Um, my mom had a 1984 Nissan Maxima, right? Nissan Maxima, brown with leather seats. And, uh, and this Nissan Maxima had like, like advanced technology. Remember, mom? It got the spot in the parking in the garage and everything. And I remember it was now a little bit older, the car I, 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 was, I could drive. But if you, if you remember the Nissan Maxima, um, it's a vintage car now. But if you remember it back then, it was ahead of its time because you would open the door, it would be going, go, ding, dong, ding, dong. The key is in the ignition. The key is in the ignition. And it would repeat that over and over again. And, and it had like, uh, like Knight Rider. Remember Knight Rider? It had like Knight Rider dash. It was digital. You could tell how fast you were going with like the numbers, not the gauge. And, you know, if you, if you left the doors open, it would be like, right door is open. Right door is open. Right door. And then we get messed up. The older it got, it would be like, the key is in the right door. You know? So anyways. <laughs> but um, so I remember what was cool about that car was that um, my mom had a lot of cassettes and stuff in it. And uh, cassettes were these plastic cylinder, or these plastic things that you would put in. And, and, um, and you would manually turn the tape one way or the other. And, you know, I, I, I was... Um, Definitely at, at a point where I wanted to know Jesus more. I was falling in love with him. And there was this music that was just different than some of the other music. You know, coming, um, I was in high school in the 90s. And so, you know, you had like MTV Unplugged and a lot of acoustic stuff. And acoustic was like really cool, you know. I mean, all the, the hair metal band ballads and stuff like More Than Words, you know. Like stuff like that. It was just like, so you would be like drawn to acoustic music. And I remember I put this cassette in. And there was vineyard music, and it was acoustic, and it was, like, really good. To me, I listened to it. Now, if you listen to it today, you might go, oh, it's not as good. I don't know. But to me, as I listened to it, I could hear the words, and I could, like, feel the music, right? Did anybody remember listening to vineyard music for the first time? It was like the presence of God was in the Nissan Maxima. Like, the presence is in the Maxima. The presence is in no, just kidding. And... And why I, I remember that and why I say it to you today is because I, I feel like it was just a simple song. And so many of these songs were so simple, but they put you in touch with the heart of God. And this song was so simple in its declaration that it stuck with me for the rest of my life. It said these words, I believe in Jesus because I believe in Jesus, right? I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. And then what does it say? I believe he's here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive. 
And as you heard that song, it, 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 it was just the same song, the same lyric was just over and over again. And it, it played around in my mind. The Gospel of John is, is like that. The Gospel of John is a reminder of the simple truths of who Jesus is and what we believe. Are you following with me this morning? And so as we get to it, you might remember from our review that this book has a structure to it. I have a slide that, um, that I want to show you that just breaks down the very simple structure. Which, by the way, did you like our beautiful Gospel of John graphic with that wonderful mountain? Um, Jojo, I just have to embarrass you, Chapman student, who did that for us, and graphic design student. Um, can you put the graphic up just because it's super cool? Um, she took that picture, too. I just think it's beautiful work, and we appreciate the work and you using your gift here to bless us. So thank you, Jojo. We appreciate that. <clears throat> um, back to my slide. The, the, the structure is this. Um, the book begins with the first chapter is like a prologue, right? Or it's like a, uh, it's a poem or a hymn about God. And it seems like in it, it it's almost, um, I don't know, well, well, we'll read it again and you'll be able to see it. But um, it declares who God is. The second part of that is the book of signs. Um, so the prologue, the book of signs. And these are the seven miracles that Jesus does. And these miracles are also attached to something that he's conveying about himself. Right after these, uh, this 12th chapter, you have the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember that one? Man, what a beautiful example of what was going to happen in his own life. And that's where the book takes a, a, a major turn into what's called the book of glory. And so for these next, 20, or these next several chapters, you see um, Jesus in obedience to the Father going the full distance to the cross. And then it, it ends with this epilogue in John 21, which is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Isn't it funny that we have favorite sections of Scripture? But it's one that I come back to so often where Jesus restores Peter. And so it begins with this hymn about who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it ends with, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, right? And so in between, you have um, these Parts, the, the book of signs and the book of glory. And why I share that with you is just to keep, keep in your minds what we're doing when we're studying, that we want to take this view of the big picture, and then we want to look at the verses, verse by verse, begin to observe them, and then interpret them. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, John chapter 1. Before I, I read it, though, I, I did want to say a couple more things about John the author, because I think it's worth noting. Um, we believe that John, we meaning me and all the scholars of the world, believe. No, But uh, it is widely believed that, that John is the author of the Gospel of John. Yet he never says, I, John, am writing this gospel, right? Where Luke does, he says he's writing this orderly account for Theophilus. It doesn't say that. But there's clues within the text. There's, there's um, um, moments in history where uh, John is, is given the credit for it. And there's this uh, language that John writes in. First, um, I just want to say the, the, the part about um, uh, the clues that are in the text, because I think they're really fun, right? How many of you, we said this last week, John has a couple of nicknames. There's one that Jesus gives him. He's, um, he's brothers with, John is brothers with a guy named James. They're fishermen. Um, their dad's name is Zebedee. And these two uh, brothers are given the nickname Sons of Thunder, right? Isn't that a cool nickname? Like if Jesus nicknamed you and your friend that, I'd be like, dude, we're the Sons of Thunder. Pablo, I think that would be your nickname. Uh, Pablo is the Son of Thunder. But, but I, um, I, I say that to say that um, these 
two guys get, earn this nickname, and uh, you can read about it uh, in, in, um, in the gospel, when they enter into, it's in like, I think it's like Luke 10, you can read it, but um, they enter into um, a Samaritan village, right? And we know that the cultural tension between Samaritans and Jews was that of discrimination between one another. And so as they enter into the, the Samaritan village, they're looking for lodging, and they're like, nope, not for you. All, all of a sudden, no vacancy, right? And it's at that point that they say, hey, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and just, like, take care of this? Isn't that funny, right? Like, let me help. Let's help you out, Jesus. And, uh, and, and so that's a fitting name for them, the sons of thunder, the ones that want to call down fire and just wipe people out when they don't do the right thing. Later, John has a different, um, a different nickname, Right? That as the Apostle John, he's known as what? Does anyone know what his nickname was later in life? John the Apostle of what? Love, right? It's even said, history reports that like his last words is he's on his, his dying, he's on his deathbed. And the last words recorded are, little children love one another. Just over and over again, little children love one another. He says of himself, he's called the, the disciple um, that Jesus loved, Right? And so you can see that in the text yourselves as you read it, but that's one of the clues that John is the writer is that he doesn't talk about himself like, I, John, but he takes more of this, maybe some would say it's arrogant, others would say it's humble, but he takes this route of identifying himself as the disciple Jesus loved. One of the funny things that I think is funny that he does is he also gives himself credit at times for doing stuff that um, just seems like it doesn't relate, but maybe it does. For example, do you remember when Peter and John realize that the tomb is empty and they want to go and see where Jesus is? Do you remember that there's a foot race? Here, let's look at it. Let's read it. John chapter 20. It's worth reading. John chapter 20 and verses 1 through 4. It says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And when she saw the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) If you were writing it, you might have said the same thing. Don't mock. Um, And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb uh, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were, they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> so, so you have little things that are almost comic like that, but it, it, it shows that John was the author of the gospel. The, I mentioned something in, in history. So there was a man um, named Arrhenius in history, and he said John was the writer of the Gospel of John. And why that's important is because he was a disciple of a man named Polycarp. That's a name that you might recognize from history as well. And Polycarp was a direct disciple of John the Apostle. So if that, that makes it kind of like a historic, get some historical street cred that if, if Polycarp's disciple tells his disciple and then we have it written, it's more authority that John was the writer, right? Isn't this stuff great? Don't you just go, yeah, this is awesome. I think the, um, the, the last and the final thing is, is the consistency of the way he writes. The way he writes is, um, is different than the way, say, Paul would write or somebody else. Um, I took New Testament Greek, and one of the, our final exam was a portion of scripture that you had to sight read. And we were all praying and hoping that we would receive like 1 John or the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Why do you think that is? 
Because John wrote like a son of thunder, like a fisherman, like a, a someone who um, just wrote very simply so that everybody could understand it. And so these are, are just more... Um, uh, facts about the Gospel of John so that you realize what we're reading is a real book written in a real time by a real person under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a real message. And I think it's, it's worth us grabbing hold of. And so let's jump in. John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You look in, and we talked about this a little bit in our overview, but we see these important parts that he was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. And this idea of the word is really important. And I learned this this week that um, you know, and you've heard this before, that for the Jewish person who grew up um, with their understanding of God, you know, and you've heard this many times, that they wouldn't want to speak the name of God. But it's recorded that, that several rabbis would refer to God as, guess what? The Word of God. That's how they would talk about God. So for the, the Jewish readers now reading it going, okay, the Word became flesh, and so now they're understanding something. But what was fascinating to me is that the Greeks... The Greeks had an idea about this um, word as well. So for the Greek philosopher, they, they would study the world. They would know that there was order. They would know that there was certain systems, and that required something greater than their own gods. This required something supreme that was ordering the universe. Guess what they referred to that? The philosophers referred to that as the logos, right? The logos for the Greek was the word. And so John knows what he's doing here. He's making this, these statements that we read in English and we read it in our time right now. And we just go, okay, this is pretty cool kind of poetry. But he's engaging his culture. He's engaging the Jewish mind. He's engaging the Greek mind. And he's about to blow their minds. And when he does, um, the, he records like Jesus making these I am statements. Remember those I am statements that he made? And on two occasions, Jesus makes them, and the people that are nearby, religious leaders, pick up stones to begin to try to, to stone him. Why? Because for them, Jesus was, was blaspheming by saying that he was, because they weren't prepared for a Messiah who was God. They weren't prepared for somebody who would declare that he was God. And this is really important. Because in a moment, I'm going to show you that we're living in a world right now that likes Jesus sometimes, right? They like certain parts about Jesus. I was thinking back, I, I, I love doing weddings. I especially love doing weddings that um, are outside the church where maybe it's somebody who's, who needs a pastor. And so I get a chance to meet with a couple and talk to them about Jesus. And I remember I did this wedding. It was pretty wild. I, I wondered if I was going to lose my job for doing the wedding. And... Um, And I, I remember at the, at the reception, obviously, I mean, honestly, it was a beautiful thing and God really showed up. But, but I remember at the reception, or excuse me, at the rehearsal dinner, I was sitting at a table with this young girl and she was really highly educated. And I asked what she did and she said she studied theology. And then she said, I'm really into Jesus. Can we talk about him? I'm like, I would love to talk about Jesus. 
She was 100% a theology student in the lane of theology like a science. Did not believe that Jesus was the son of God or God, but was really, really fascinated by this historical figure called Jesus. She thought he was super cool. Now, I, I say that to say, you, you know, you might be in this room being like far from that thought process. But John goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand that Jesus wasn't just a historical figure that we think is pretty awesome um, or did some really great moral things. But John goes to great lengths to help us to see um, whether it's a, a Jewish mind or a Greek mind or be at least confronted with the claims that this one who was always there, is now flesh and blood here walking around. And what are you going to do with this new information to you? Does that make sense? So if John goes to great lengths, I felt like, man, we've got to as well. Um, the word becomes flesh. I was reading uh, somebody who I really love there is Eugene Peterson. I quote him quite often. And I was telling Pastor Andy this. I was reading this section of his interpretation or his thoughts on the word becoming flesh. And I thought, man, how could I kind of read that and then bring it back to you? And you ever try to do that and realize it sounds so much worse than the way that the person actually said it, so why don't I just let you hear it from him? So here's a kind of a long quote. But I'd invite you to kind of open up your heart to this idea and really, like, have your view expanded about what this simple phrasing of scripture that you might have heard many times or you might be here for the first time hearing it but hear it through the lenses of a real poet and and um, a true theologian here's what it says the first part it it connects he's connecting the book of genesis um, with first john or excuse me with john's gospel intentionally it says in genesis the first book of the bible God is presented as speaking the creation into existence. Remember this idea of the word becomes flesh. God speaks the word and it happens. Heaven and earth, ocean and stream, trees and grass, birds and fish, animal and humans. Everything seen and unseen called into being by God's spoken word. Then this next quote, or this part of the next part of the paragraph says, in a deliberate parallel to the opening words of Genesis, John presents God speaking salvation into existence. This time, God's word takes on human form. This is awesome. Enters history in the person of Jesus. Jesus speaks the word and it happens. Forgiveness and judgment, healing and illumination, mercy and grace, joy, love, freedom and resurrection. Everything broken and fallen, sinful and diseased, called into salvation by God's spoken word. Now hang in there with me. For somewhere along the lines, things went wrong. Genesis tells this story too. And are in desperate need of fixing. The fixing is all accomplished by speaking. God is speaking salvation into the person of Jesus Jesus, in this account, not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. Keeping company with these words, we begin to realize that our words are more important than we ever supposed. Hear this. Saying I believe, for instance, marks the difference between life and death. Our words accrue dignity and gravity in conversations with Jesus. 
For Jesus doesn't impose salvation as a solution. He narrates salvation into being through leisurely conversation, intimate personal relationship, compassionate responses, passionate prayer, and putting it all together, a sacrificial death. We don't casually walk away from words like that. I mean, that, that, that hits me so hard. And so I, I, I share that with you to really begin to maybe um, challenge the beliefs that we have. And I was talking to somebody before this time, and, and, and I just said it just a moment ago as well, that we're living in a moment where so much of what we believe is being challenged on such a regular basis. It's being eroded away. New stories, new narratives that replace old ones that are, are called to be like archaic or, um, you know, good being called evil and evil being called good, right? Lots of heads shaking because we, we, we see this and we don't want to be like the frogs in the boiling pot. You know that analogy, right? Like a, a frog, you can't just throw them in while the water's boiling. You have to just let him swim around and start turning up the heat, and he won't know any difference because he's, what, cold-blooded. So it's like as, he begin, as it heats up, the frog doesn't jump out. He just boils in there. That's been our, our story. And even some of the things in, in our society, like maybe you've had these moments before where you look and go, why doesn't that bug me? That used to bug me. Maybe it's some, like a moral issue or something, uh, maybe a standard where you used to have a line in your life, you know, over something, and now all of a sudden that, that line's been moved. You're like, well, I would have never done that 10 years ago. This isn't some kind of moralistic message to get you to put the line back. This is, this is us sitting together in the word of God and examining it and going, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And has my line strayed? Has it moved? Have I allowed anything in there to sort of mess with what I think about Jesus? What we hear from, from the gospel, what we hear from Pastor Peterson, Eugene Peterson, is this beautiful poetic words that he's God. It goes into 1 John chapter 6, says there's a, a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. The word witness is there like 14 times in this gospel. To bear witness about the light that we all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Some of you have that, um, that Bible that you can take notes in. We, we provided it here for you if you had it. But in, in the margins of my Bible, I have the same one. And I took a note because when I saw that the true light had come into the world, it made me question, does that imply that there was a false light, right? That the true light had come into the world, does that mean that there were false lights? And you can look through history. There were many messiahs that had come and claimed to be messiahs. And my point is not to do that, to show you that this morning. But my point is to say that in our, in our world today, as there was in John's world, there are a lot of views about Jesus. In, in John's world, um, the early Christian world, there was a heresy known as Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism um, was, a, without going all into it, really elevated anything that was spiritual. Like you could have this special knowledge, you know, and like key people had it. And it was like the haves and the have-nots. Maybe you've been around really spiritual people and they're like, oh, you just don't get it, you know? Um, it was Gnostics were like that. And the Gnostics um, believed that Jesus was God, 
but he wasn't man. Kind of weird, right? So many other people believed it the other way around. But they believed he was God, but not man. They believed things like if Jesus walked on the sand, there wouldn't be any footprints. Like he would just sort of like hover over it. And they passed these thoughts on. And so John is addressing some of this. He's saying, no, let me tell you who the true light is. The true light was eternal. The true light was with God. He was God. And he is God. I thought about um, Gnostics might seem so far away from us. And I thought about like um, folks that, that sometimes knock on your door, right? And they knock on your door. And they might have a, a magazine to share with you. Or they want to chat with you about, about the Bible. And, um, and some of you... Some of you, like, send your two-year-old to the door or something instead, or you let your dog bark extra loud, <clears throat> or others of you will stop and, and engage. I had a neighbor who um, was, was searching out his faith, and, and he started asking questions, and week after week, they would, they would come with more answers um, to things he would ask. And I remember asking him, like, why do, you, why do you keep doing that? He goes, oh, I don't believe any of it. I just find it fascinating that they come back with more answers. And so this is no, in no way, uh, um, I'm not trying to make jokes about the Jehovah Witnesses, but the Jehovah Witnesses believe something different about Jesus than you do, okay? The Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus was created. They believe, namely, that he was the archangel Michael, right? And so, so here's a real-life example of someone who would, if you ask them, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. But the Jesus that they believe in is different than the Jesus that you believe in. Do you begin to see why it's important to be grounded in some of these things? Not to just pass by the first couple of verses. I could list some several, you know, world religions that would really honor Jesus as a good man or a prophet or a humanitarian. But son of God, no way. In fact, for some, um, to, to think of Jesus as the son of God creates like a, a, a nausea in their stomach because it's like worse than, it's like the worst form of idolatry in their view of God to say that God could be triune is like, whoa, no. So this stuff we believe and has been believed through the word of God is, is like really revolutionary. It, it requires belief. That's why um, John over 71 times says that we've got to believe and in believing these things, you have what? You have life. Um, Wayne Grudem, who's a, a theologian, he has this big volume of, of theology that I have uh, on my bookshelf. Andy steals it every once in a while. Um, he makes this quote about Jesus, very, very simple. He says, Jesus Christ was God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. These things that I share, again, uh, I, I, I'm not going to, never mind. I was going to say, I keep saying the same thing, but I, I, I say these things so it sinks in. Verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The reason I think that John hits this so um, hard and the reason that I stay in that little portion for the while that I did was because belief in the wrong thing doesn't lead to the right thing. What the longing for, um, for maybe some who would be willing to give of themselves weekend after weekend to knock on a door or to go to foreign lands or do whatever else, if it's the, the wrong thing, it doesn't lead to what John tells us is the most beautiful thing. 
this entering into relationship where we have a right to be called children of God. And with that right comes the, the standing of stability that we have, like we said last week, knowing that God is pleased with us because what Jesus has done, but we stand with an authority against the enemy and the onslaught of the demonic attack that wants to plague our mind and tell us that we're something other than what we truly are. And when we read this, we begin to understand the importance. Oh, I've got to believe and receive the reality that was revolutionary for the original reader. What? Jesus was always there? Jesus is the Son of God? The Messiah is God? That was a big deal, and it should be a big deal for us. Um, I'm going to run through a couple of of things here because my time is going quickly and I want to land. So if you just follow with me in John chapter 1 and now in verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we have seen the glory, the glory of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a word there, glory. It's likened to a, a... a Hebrew word, glory, that's called Shekinah. You know that word, Phyllis? <laughs> so for those of you, why there's just a few giggles, um, Phyllis, our model today for um, our women's um, worship night t-shirt, is also the founding, uh, one of her and her husband founded this church. And um, in, the, in, in the naming of the church, as the story goes, you could tell it so much better than I because you were there, um, her husband, Noel, comes to her and says, I think we're going to call it Shekinah Christian Center, right? And Phyllis says, I don't even think anyone can spell Shekinah, right? <laughs> so Shekinah, this idea of God's glory, may this glory be known and, and, and fill the place. It's for the, the Jewish reader to, to begin to think back at something that happened in Exodus. Can you, can you look there with me real quick? Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34. As the children of Israel were traveling and they had this mobile place of worship called the tabernacle, an amazing event happened. And a cloud covered this tent of meeting in verse 34 of chapter 40 of Exodus. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This glory, the word literally is that Shekinah, that, this, this presence of God. This is important for uh, somebody who is from a Jewish background to think about. Because as I said before, as a Jewish reader is reading this for the first time, hearing that the word was God, the word was with God, and the word was God, and then seeing Jesus say, I am, before Abraham was, I am, everything in their bones was like, whoa, don't, don't do that. Because for them to believe that the Messiah was God was to somehow separate God apart, and they couldn't do that. They couldn't conceptualize what it would be like for God to be fully the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but them to be distinct. The wonder of the Trinity. You guys all get the Trinity, right? We've talked about this. Everybody gets that. Like, come on, it's the Trinity. This, this mystery that's difficult to understand, but it's, it's powerful in, in what the declaration is. And why this moment in history where the glory falls is important is when I was reading one um, Jewish scholar, he's messianic, and he was saying that, that this is an example of the way that God can be enthroned in the heavens and he can, be, he can be all throughout, 
but yet his presence can dwell somewhere, that he doesn't stop being somewhere to be somewhere else. God didn't stop being God to allow Jesus to come to the earth, but there was something separate and distinct. Do you, do, do you follow this? As I was like studying these things, I'm like, man, I don't want to like teach theology because I'm not even good at it. But, I, but I, as I was studying it, I want to pass it on to you, and this is the reason why. Because when I was studying things like this, I, I, I was back to the 1984 Nissan Maxima. I believe in Jesus. Because what was happening in my life for the first time when I was hearing those songs and singing them is the songs were matching what I was reading. That I was getting to know Jesus in truth through the word and then I was beginning to sing about it. Everything that was happening before was, was feeling-based. If the song was good... Which, in my opinion, because, you know, when you're 16, everything was, like, lame in the music. Oh, that church music's super lame. But if you went to a cool place and the music was cool, you could start to feel it. This was different than that. It's beyond the feeling. It was the reality that you were knowing God more, and these songs helped you express what you were, what you were reading and seeing. And I was having that experience all over again. It was, it was something that I longed for in us as a congregation. That, and I see it happening that when we're worshiping, there's such a depth to what we're singing because what God is doing in us, not just an expression of feeling or a rhythm, but voicing the truth of who God is and like putting it out there. Powerful. And so we see this in this moment where the glory filled the, the temple and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the the cloud settled on it and the glory fills the tabernacle and throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But where the cloud um, was not taken up, they did not set out till the day was taken up. Um, um, excuse me. Yeah, out till the day. <laughs> you, you can see it on the screen. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire by night and the in, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What's the point? Why does it matter? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The way the, the sentence is constructed is to say the word God tabernacled with us. He came down as a tabernacle and his glory is here with us. It's a direct connection between the two. That the way that, that Jesus was leading them, the way that he was showing up for them consistently, and the way he wants to do that for us is the same way that he was doing it here. The same God of the Old Testament is capable of doing what he was in the, doing in the New Testament. This gives us some, some, um, something to hang on to in what we believe. And so as I wrap all of this up, I want to just put up this slide and then I'm going to invite our worship team to come back because um, I, I think it's important to process what we're, what we're learning or at least internalize what we're learning and express it back to the Lord in worship. But as I sat there reading these things throughout the week and then trying to get them to land um, for you today, the point where I landed was some conclusions about what I learned about Jesus and I hope that you'll take these with you throughout your week. Maybe they can even become something that you can declare, something that you can write out or, or pray um, as a reminder of who he is in true worship to him. The first thing that I learned about Jesus, according to John 1.1, 1, 1, was that he existed from the beginning with God. The second thing I learned about Jesus 
is that he is God. The third thing I learned is that all things are made through Jesus. The fourth thing I learned is that he became flesh. And as Wayne Grudem says, he still is today. Do you know the gospel goes through great length to help us see that the resurrected Jesus still eats fish? That the resurrected Jesus still says, here, touch my body, right? That, that he is fully God and fully man, even to this moment today. The fifth thing that I read, and hopefully this brings you tremendous hope, is that he dwells with us. The sixth thing is that he is the true light. And this last one is so beautiful, is that he is full of grace and truth. John puts it, and you can read it yourself. I've passed over it. Is he gives to you grace upon grace. He says of, of Moses that Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought grace and truth. Do you know what the law is really good for? The law is really good to show you where you fail, right? And it's important. It's a standard that you hold to, that if you were to go, I don't know, 55 miles an hour down this road, you know what? You're, you're doing something wrong. You're breaking the law. Why? Because there's a sign posted. That's, I don't think it's like 35 or 25 right there. You're going way too fast. The law helps you to do that. Jesus, the fulfillment, helps you to see those areas where, where you're doing things that are wrong, but he also provides the grace to forgive. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. And I believe he's here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive. Grace and truth. That's the seventh thing that I learned about Jesus. And the application to this is to create a little bit of space for us. I, I know I'm, I'm about to go over and uh, sorry. <laughs> but as we maybe, um, if we can just have our lights and, and just have a moment to um, process a little bit the areas where we might need to open our hearts to experience a little bit more of God's grace. Maybe we open up our hearts a little bit to um, express the magnitude of who he is. Maybe we need to open up our hearts to the need for healing, as Pete and Patty shared earlier. Maybe you were, your interest was piqued, going, man, I, I am stuck, and I need, I need healing in my life. The word that became flesh, who became Jesus, who became just like you, his presence is not gone after the resurrection. His presence remains with you even now. As we said in worship, may we never lose the wonder of the God of eternity allowing his presence to be among us in our worship. Can we stand together? And this is another song. I saw it on the, the list of songs that Ben chose. It's another song from, I think, from around that same time period. And it, it, it declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the Holy One. And then it just allows us to love on him. And that's part of what our worship is, is loving on him. So I'm going to let them lead us, and then we'll um, take a moment to respond. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit's like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp 
John's purpose and why he wanted us to understand who Jesus was, why he goes at such great lengths is so that we might believe. And in his stated purpose, he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Maybe there are some today that Really, as you hear the things that are said, especially some of the things that I read that from Eugene Peterson about the power of our words and what happens when we believe that the promise of this Messiah, this Jesus who came to give us life and life to the full, that, that we inherit this right or this salvation, as we call it, this new life through belief. And maybe you've yet to declare that, that you believe. The, the Bible speaks of believing in our heart and receiving Jesus. Maybe this is your moment to go, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm hearing these things. I, I, I believe it. This is a supernatural moment as well. This is not a, an intellectual sense. This isn't something that you go, oh, I heard that stuff and now I believe it. But you've, you've heard it. But the gospel, the, the power of God's word is it's alive. And as it's coming alive in your heart, I would invite you to respond in receiving Jesus and receiving um, the, the glory of true life that only he can bring and salvation that comes through it. Maybe for others of you, it's just that, that heart cry of, Jesus, I just want more of you. I, I want to return to that, that place of first love, that place of, of knowing you without all the traffic and the noise and the things that are trying to erode what I think about you that place of purity. Jesus, would you restore that to our hearts now? I'm going to ask you, Ben, just to sing that, that part where you just sing the name of Jesus. Jesus, holy and anointed one. 
as I sing this song, if you'd like prayer for anything, there's people who can pray for you here or you can come right up after. We'd love to pray with you, whether it's prayer for healing in your life or, or your decision to believe in Jesus. And we want to celebrate that with you. But we want to give you some opportunity to respond to the Lord in that way. I'm going to ask him to sing this song one last time. And then we'll close in prayer. over your people now. God, I pray that you would fill them to overflowing. I pray that you would meet every need that they have. God, I pray that you would continue to create a hunger and thirst in our hearts for more of you, that we would know you. Bless your people now, God. May they experience the promise of this gospel, that they would have life in you. Lord, may they experience in you um, that right as children of God. I pray against any Uh, lies from the evil one over their hearts and minds. God, would you set the captive heart free? Would you bless them? Would you inspire them? Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them in every way as they go throughout this week? May they know you more. May they be your witnesses. May they have both community and mission. God, bless your people now, I pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you.
Shine. 